Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Jennifer's Body from 2009. Directed by Karin Kusama, written by Diablo Cody, starring Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Adam Brody, and Johnny Simmons. In this film, a high school girl's best friend becomes possessed by a demon. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk about this movie without spoilers for the first 15 or 20 minutes, just discuss some background info on the film. And then once you hear the transition music, it means we are transitioning into spoiler territory. So at that point, you want to go duck out and watch this. I think you can find it on Prime, if I'm not mistaken, right, Ashwin? Yeah, that's where I saw it. Okay, cool. Uh, this was requested by Marnie a long time ago, and I think at least one other person. I apologize. I can't remember who else. And had you seen this before? I had never seen this. I caught bits and pieces of it on like TNT years and years ago, but I've never seen the whole movie or even honestly, like more than a tiny little chunk. Have you seen it before? Oh, cool. No, I'd, I'd never seen this. It's definitely been on my list for a while. You know, I think I had it confused with like a body horror movie. I feel like this one in maybe Audition or something. I had confused. Oh, th- those are very different movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So I've, I've always never, like, yeah, this one's kind of been sitting on, on the back of, like, I figured it wasn't a movie I'd want to see, but glad we finally got around to it. Oh, boy. We should probably cover Audition at some point. Yeah, I know. I know. That's, uh, oh, that, that's a rough watch for that's me. That's more like torture, right? And uh, gore. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. Um, but this is a demonic possession movie. It's a horror comedy. And there's, have you heard of a genre, perhaps for me, I feel like I've mentioned it on the show before, called teen girl horror? Oh, no, I don't think so. It had never really been on my radar, and I'm not sure how official the subgenre is, but Meredith Borders wrote an article in Fangoria, I want to say a couple of years ago, where she was talking about this subgenre, and she mentions movies like Carrie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Ginger Snaps, The Witch, Raw, It Follows, a couple others. Would you put, like, The Craft in there? Yes. I was like, there's some other movie she mentioned that I forgot to put on this list, and it was The Craft. Yeah, good call. Yeah, basically a movie that just overlays the horrifying experience of being a teenage girl with, you know, the horrors of typical horror movies. Okay, that's awesome. And, yeah, Yeah. it's interesting because I think even in, like, the inspiration for this film, uh, we also, I I think the, the industry recognizes that so many horror films already i mean yeah you already have like strong female uh leads right that end up as your final girl but these movies dive uh deeper into building them out as characters and playing more to exposing them and like their uh journey through these films yeah for sure indeed and i think quite a few of them too even touch on kind of puberty itself like going through puberty and and even having your period and going through some sort of transformation, like that's an element of Carrie. Ginger Snaps is definitely about transformation, as is Raw. Um, yeah, it follows, has a lot to do with sexuality. So I, I think coming into your own and the changes your body is going through is, is definitely a big part of all these movies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's so interesting because uh, I, I feel like, you know, us being uh, guys and growing up, like, puberty is this thing you, you talk about and like especially this really awkward time in your life uh and yeah i think these movies really hit on something where like how different that experience is for women 
and like uh i don't know it's just it's just like you know i never really thought about that too deep so it's, it's nice these movies exist yeah i think there's a lot these type of movies can tell us about that too that we wouldn't really be able to glean from many other forms of explanation in a way like <laughs> yeah. it, it just makes it a little bit more real it does it does yeah yeah that's no, it's, it's really cool and horror seems like a great platform for that yeah um so yeah karen kusama um has done some other horror stuff as well she did the invitation from 2015 you've seen that one right i have yeah and it, uh it's been a while i really want to go back and rewatch that but i remember liking it yeah we should probably cover that at some point very different movie from jennifer's body right she did a segment for the uh all women directors anthology called xx from 2017 a segment called her only living son uh and she's she's done other movies too she did i never know how to pronounce this is it eon flux oh it's either eon flux or eon flux it's one of those yeah it was like a show on mtv right an animated show yeah it used to terrify me when it would come on at night oh really (laughs) something about the i feel like the intro had like a bug crawling into someone's eye or something i can't Uh, quite remember but yeah i'm I'm surprised Um, her name didn't come up uh i don't know was it months ago we were talking about like female directors or maybe it was on our horror movie draft list but yeah oh yeah directed by a woman right the invitation we didn't think about that right right yeah yeah and uh yeah i didn't know she'd done this film either so that's pretty cool sure um, I learned something of a project in the works when looking at Karin Kusama's uh, IMDb page. She's going to be directing an episode of an upcoming Amazon TV series that is a reimagining of Dana- David Cronenberg's 1988 film Dead Ringers. Oh boy, uh, have you seen have you seen that movie? I have seen the movie. Yeah, it's one of my least favorites of his, but it, it's still interesting and and very Cronenbergian as well. Yeah, and they're making um, a show out of it. They're making a show out of it. It stars Rachel Weiss as a pair of twin gynecologists. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Diablo Cody wrote this movie. She's an Academy Award winner. She won Best Original Screenplay for Juno, which I, I probably knew at some point but kind of forgot. I mean, I knew she did Juno, but I didn't realize she won an Academy Award. Yeah, I mean, that movie was like pretty big when it came out, and I mean, that's, the only, that's the last time I remember hearing about Diablo and the first time. But, uh, right. yeah, that really put her on the map. And, uh, what, um, what year was that? Was that like 2008 or seven or eight or something or a long time ago? Oh boy. Juno. I, yeah, I want to say like 2000. She did Juno before Jennifer's body. Yeah. Maybe it was like 2000. No, it was 2007. I've got it right here. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. She also won a Tony in 2020 for writing the story for the Broadway musical Jagged Little Pill based on Alanis Morissette's album of the same name. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I love that album. So that yeah. was fun for me to see. Yeah. She she seems like a, a pretty strong force uh, and it, like a really good writer and uh, really known for like bringing the, that female perspective in, in like kind of a comedic way just based on these yeah. films. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely got her own little brand of writing. Um, and I feel like it's often cited in screenwriting, uh, like literature, you know, like if you're citing a screenplay and how it works its way into little clever things, then uh, the screenplay for Juno is often brought up in those discussions or oh. as examples to screenwriting students. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, she's created a couple of TV series. She's got a few big movies to her name and more stuff coming out. So and she is a big deal. Um, and she worked on like Evil Dead, the remake in 2013. Did she? Okay, you know, she's got credits as like a writer, but I think she's also, I didn't look at some of the other categories, but I feel like she's got quite a career in just like revising scripts and editing scripts. Oh, um, yeah. I think that's what she was doing there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think there was like a little backlash against her. There's backlash against this movie. It was, the story, at least the way people tell it now, is that there was kind of a misogynistic backlash against Jennifer's body. Um, and largely because of its star, Megan Fox. She was most notable for her work in the Transformers films and for playing April O'Neil in Michael Bay's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, but... I hear it kind of framed as like she was getting peak stardom. She was kind of an, not kind of, she was definitely an international sex symbol. And there was starting to be a little bit of a backlash against her around the time this movie came out. Did you read much about that? No, but that sounds familiar. Um, Because I remember being really into Megan Fox and then maybe dropping out for a little bit. I forget why though. Was Was there a reason? Was she really weird or something? I didn't go back through the details of it all. I read up on it at one point in time, but there was something she said about Michael Bay that created a bit of a fallout with them and negatively impacted her career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I, yeah, that sounds familiar, but it's like, who cares about Michael Bay? Like, he makes the shittiest movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, I mean, I think she also kind of leaned into her role, like that the media was casting her in, and kind of said some weird stuff in interviews and and stuff like that not to blame her at all um just trying to piece it together i can't say i was really paying attention to what happened nor do i have the interest in like think figuring out the who said what um all uh, i think all you really need to know is that she was a mega international sex symbol and to some degree i think always will be um and there was a backlash. And I think a lot of the themes in this movie kind of can touch upon that backlash and kind of have parallels. So I think we'll discuss that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we should discuss that. And uh, I don't know, like, do you track, have you been keeping up with her and like the Machine Gun Kelly nonsense, uh, everything that's that she's been up to like the last few years? No. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I haven't been keeping up other than the fact that I know she's dating Machine Gun Kelly and just by looking at pictures of him, I feel like he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I actually, I, I'm reading it now that I, I guess she uh, accused Michael Bay of, uh, or compared him to Adolf Hitler. So, yeah, I, I guess I could see that being pretty troublesome. I mean, that's pretty extreme. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, and actually, you know, that... Let's let's pin put a pin in that and in, in the backlash that's being painted as a misogynistic backlash against her. Not saying it necessarily isn't, but that's how that's painted. Then you've also got her saying Michael Bay is Adolf Hitler. So okay. <laughs> let's pin those two things and keep them in mind in yeah. our review of the movie itself. Sure. Yeah. I I mean I, I think this movie and yeah as we go through it it's just very interesting dynamic where you have written by uh, a female uh, directed by a female starring like a strong female cast. Uh, part of me thinks that there's a big studio though that's like male driven an industry that's kind of male dominated so I, I think it's an interesting intersection of, of things going on here which I think play out in the film 
Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there was backlash against this movie at the time, but it's developed a cult following over the years. It has, um, yeah. And I do think part of that is tracing these patterns. I mean, not only is it just society and where we are now, uh, post Me Too, and like looking back at our history and being like, hey, was that right the way that all wor- went down? And like, what culture did we overlook because we just wrote it off, like the patriarchy wrote it off for whatever reason? Um, I think teen girl horror kind of, you know, follows that thread as well, that whole subgenre. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's super fascinating to go back and revisit some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah, on the topic of critics not liking it, uh, it got 45% critic score from Rotten Tomatoes. Users are even worse at 35%. The budget was fairly high at $16 million, and the box office was only 31.6. So it didn't even double its money. Uh, The way I always hear it worked out is that the the movie theaters themselves get to keep half so if that's true they the uh producers didn't even get their money back on what they spent on the film mm. yeah yeah not so, a yeah. huge blockbuster um not I the can, blockbuster not not the success that juno was yeah which i'm, I'm surprised about because you've got so many elements going here it's a horror you have a, a super uh person like you know huge uh actress like megan fox in there you've got the premise which i feel like would draw a bunch of people out um what, what do you think like i know the writer's strike was maybe like a year before and delayed some of the release here but any other reason why you wouldn't have expected a bigger budget or bigger box office here i don't i don't know i'm not sure maybe it was just a bit of cultural fatigue of megan fox and then yeah, negative reviews started coming in, and people just weren't interested. Yeah, um, I don't yeah. know. It, it's it, it's interesting. It, it the fact that it hit with two people who were really kind of on their way up, specifically Diablo Cody and Megan Fox. I mean, and Amanda Siegfried. I always want to say Siegfried, but there's no G in there. No, uh, like Seyfried. What what is it? Yeah, I don't know. She starred in Mean Girls the year before, so... Oh, yeah. You know, her star was rising as well, so I'm not sure why more people didn't go to see this. I mean, $31 million is nothing to sneeze at, but not not what they were expecting for this movie. Nah, it's not Transformers money. No, not at all Transformers money. One of the producers on this film, I realized, is Jason Reitman, who directed Juno, and I didn't realize this, but he's the son of famous producer and director Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. Uh, This movie's title comes from the song by the Courtney Love-fronted rock group Hole from their 1994 album Live Through This. Did you realize that? They have a song called Jennifer's Body. Uh, I I read that. Uh, I don't think I've heard that song. Have you? I don't think so. No, I'm not a really big Hole fan. Yeah, I I got on board a little bit on... Was that that album Malibu? Was that a big one of theirs or was that a song? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, you never got into them? No, I mean, a couple of their singles were okay, like Doll Parts and uh, Celebrity Skin. Yeah, oh, that was the name of the album, I think, Celebrity Skin. That was the album. Was it? Yeah. What was the single off that? Uh, I think there was a song called Malibu on that one. Um, One or two other singles, too. Those had some good hits. Cool. Uh, Some other pretty recognizable faces in this movie before they were really huge, right? Yeah, like, uh, well, so, uh, do you, uh, did you see the dropout by any chance? 
That, no, I never saw the dropout. Oh man, that, that was like this incredible show that came out last year with the Amanda. Uh, what do we, yeah, Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought like she was amazing and, uh, cool to see her like in this one. And then the guy from, is it the OC or what's, what's he from? Yeah. Adam Brody from the OC and then right. Chris Pratt is in this. Oh yeah. Chris Pratt's in there. JK Simmons. JK Simmons. And he was in Juno as well. So yeah. Another Diablo Cody joint. Ah, uh, okay. Amy yeah. Sedaris played, uh, Needy's mom. Oh, that's who she was. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, interesting that this movie just didn't have more of a pop culture footprint than it did. I know, I know. But yeah, to your point, I, I feel like I'm hearing more about it in like the last few years. I know like some of my friends just saw it like last Halloween and were raving about it. So it does seem like it's getting an extra pair of legs. And isn't there a graphic novel based off of it? There is, yeah. I don't know much about that or whether it was successful or not. Okay, yeah. I'm curious to see what happens. Apparently, Lance Henriksen has a small part in this, who played Bishop in Aliens. Oh, cool. Yeah, huh. I think he's a driver towards the end of the movie. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got. I think we'll talk more about the the themes and the backlash and um, misogyny and whatnot later on in the review, but do you have any other background info you want to discuss up front before I hit the Ohio connection? Uh, two things. One, I heard like the script got leaked before this movie came out, which uh, I, th- I thought it was kind of hilarious. Like, who is out there trying to steal scripts? Like, that just that just sounds so boring. Like, I, I don't know why you'd, you'd want to read a script without, like, just watching a movie. And then <laughs> and then uh, the song, there's, like, a really cheesy song that plays throughout this movie, and it's actually, like, by a, the band called Low Shoulder. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of music in here, and I can't tell if it was being purposely cheesy or not. But, yeah, did, 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 do you know any more about, like, that band? Or, like, that song, or, like, why? Uh, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's by... So there's these two dudes, Ryan Levine and Andrew Ampaya, two musicians who've worked together in a variety of bands, and they both appeared as members of the fictional band Low Shoulder, and I couldn't figure out if that was actually, like, a band that they really uh, worked under, or if they were just a fictional band. They wrote a couple of songs for the movie, and those songs were released under the name Low Shoulder. Oh, yeah. Like the song Through the Trees, which is played multiple <laughs> times in the movie and is super corny. Yeah. I think it is meant to be corny. Okay. But okay. it's weird because I, I feel like they were probably sincere when they wrote it. I know. I know. <laughs> like, um, but that the whole, you know, there's Fallout Boy and Motion City soundtrack on posters on the wall in this movie. So the whole thing is like teenagers in this time period. Emo was just what was in. It was, yeah. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, that, that's what makes it hard for me to know. Like, looking back on it now, it looks super cheesy, but, like, back then was this, like, a really cool song. Uh, right. I, I can't tell. There were some songs in there that were, like, cool songs that I enjoyed, though, like, on, oh. in the soundtrack. Um, yeah, the Black There's a Kids. cover of a Hot Chip song. Oh, yeah, it ends with that Hot Chip song, right? Yeah, yeah. And what what did you just say? Uh, doesn't it start with a song from the, what are they called, the Black Kids yeah, the yeah, I'm yeah. not going to teach him how to dance with you or whatever. Yeah, great to hear some of those songs after such a yeah, long time. for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, the music was interesting because it was very, you know, very of its time. Yeah, totally, totally. Nice nice throwback. Uh, yeah. that, that's all I got. Cool. All right, well, uh, as usual, our Ohio connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, check out Jukebox Bar and Restaurant. Great food, great drinks. 
Alex connects every movie to our home state of Ohio for us, and Alex says, Jennifer's Body is a comedy horror film written by Diablo Cody and directed by Karin Kusama. The film stars Megan Fox as a demonically possessed high school girl who kills her male classmates with her best friend striving to stop her. Fox is an actress and model who is best known for her supporting role in two Transformers films and her portrayal of April O'Neil in two live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films. She's also been a popular tabloid target for her relationships with actor Brian Austin Green and more recently singer Machine Gun Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly, born Richard Colson Baker, spent much of his youth in the greater Cleveland area and attended Shaker Heights High School located in Shaker Heights, Ohio. Oh, yeah. That's so embarrassing. That guy's from Ohio. <laughs> are you are you into Machine Gun Kelly at all? No, honestly, I know nothing about him. And I, I shouldn't judge his, his book by his cover and say he looks like he's a weirdo. <laughs> I, have, I know very little about him other yeah. than that he was in Bird Box. Oh, he was? Who was he in Bird Box? Uh, the guy who looks like Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, that dude. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, such an interesting character. I, I feel like uh, I need to give him an actual uh, listen because uh, he's got a fan base, and I, I wonder if there's something there. But, uh, yeah, it's just hard to get past the image sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I care not. Why don't you tell me how he is? Okay, cool. I'll check it out and let you know. Cool. All right, man. Well, are you ready to go through the plot in detail and spoil everything and then give our review? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Before we do that, um, do you mind if I just like call you back later? I've been having some health issues and I've got to run to the doctor real quick. Oh, shoot. Yeah, man. Hope everything's okay. Okay. Thanks, man. I'll call you after my appointment. Sounds good. All right, cool. Hey, man. Hey, I'm back. Hey, how'd everything go? You know, it went all right. Uh, apparently, I have high blood pressure, and uh, they told me I need to lay off the salty morsels. The salty morsels? Those are so tempting. <laughs> are you talking about, like, uh, lead singers for bands? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the Diablo Codyism for sexy boys in this movie. <laughs> salty morsels. <laughs> I love it, man. The language in this movie is, is pretty clever. Yeah, you know, and I think that's an interesting thing that is going to hit people differently. Like, do you like what Diablo Cody does and how she creates this very specific slang for her characters? Or mm-hmm. does it get annoying after a while or <laughs> some combination of the two? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of shows I watch these days with teenagers, like, there's just like 30% of things that are being said that I don't understand. And I'm like, I, I love that. It's like wow, I don't I don't know what half this means, and I'm, I feel like so like uh, like I'm learning or something, you know? Because like right, language yeah, evolves like so much. Like how everybody on the Discord server had to tell me that Netflix and chill meant <laughs> sexual things. Yeah, like last year, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like very recently. <laughs> very recently, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I you think a lot of the, the, this writing was Diablo, and not necessarily like how teens were talking at that time. I, yeah, I mean, it's not how kids are talking at that time. It's just, like, weird little slang she makes up for the characters in the movie. Like, Dwight Schrute says your ego is prego in Juno. And that's kind of a classic line from that movie. Oh, yeah. 
but no one truly says that, you know, and he's calling her home slightly. Everything yeah. about the way so many of her characters talk is just very specific to those characters. It's not like slang yeah. people use in that time period. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. That's, that's really good people weren't calling it. sexy dudes salty mor- morsels in 2009. I mean, just because I, I feel like... Uh, just because no one called us that doesn't mean no one was that <laughs> Oh, one. man, that hurts. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, you're probably right. It probably wasn't a thing. <laughs> but I like it. I think it's a very col- colorful uh, ter- terminology or like, or like words and vocab that she comes up with. The slang term for us was something like bitter <laughs> lumps. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Sour Patch Kids. Uh, wanted a salty morsel, but went home with a bitter lump. <laughs> oh man, we've all had those nights, right? Uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so this movie starts with a voiceover narration and begins with the quote, Hell is a teenage girl. This is our main character, Anita, talking to us. Her friends call her Needy. She's narrating the story from a prison for inmates with mental health issues. She kicks one of the guards and ends up in solitary confinement as she tells us the story that got her into this position in the first place. She tells us about her good friend, all through childhood, named Jennifer. Jennifer is the cool, popular, attractive girl, and Needy is a bit more nerdy, bookish, etc. One night, Jennifer convinces Needy to ditch her boyfriend, Chip, and go see an indie rock band called Low Shoulder play at a dive bar. And... I was on board with all this so far. It may seem a little cliche to have a character like narrating from uh, an institution after something has gone wrong, and they're like, let me tell you how I got here. But I was on board with it. What did you think of this whole setup? I was too, because I, I thought the she, she was like like pretty funny in uh, narrating what was happening. Like even the whole, like the, they have me down as like kicker, and then you see her like basically kick a woman across the table. So between like what she was describing how she was describing it and like what we're seeing play out like a lot of comedy elements coming through so i I was into it i was too and yeah we we start off with the um diablo cody isms but i was i was on board with them so far even the salty morsels um at some point somebody was jealous so they said you're jello you're lime green jello yeah and a lot of this was like megan fox's character right like jennifer yeah yeah megan fox was the primary source of the of the Diablo Codyisms. Yeah, that's what I'm calling them. And it didn't feel like she, like I mean when, when she would say things like that, it felt like very natural for her character. Like it didn't feel like, oh, it's uh, you're stretching to like use this vocab or like these these the slang you're saying like it doesn't seem right. Like I feel like it fit her character really well. It did feel natural coming out of Megan Fox's mouth. Yes. Um, and I'm gonna go out and just give part of my review right now. I think Megan Fox gives a great performance in this movie. Like I agree. I was surprised. She is exactly what this character, what Jennifer needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was like written for her or like the way she delivered it was just like spot on. Like it was, it was so awesome to see that. Exactly. Agreed. Um, one line I liked from the opening too was how, uh, Jennifer was saying like, let's go to the club to watch this band. And it's actually just this like hillbilly dive bar. And, uh, Needy is like counter arguing like clubs are for attractive people in populous <laughs> urban areas. Yeah. This is not a club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot too. Did you get the sense like when they go to this club and they meet the band, uh, do you, do you think there was like a dynamic here of like rural versus urban city versus like, uh, people in the country playing out? Hmm. 
Boy, I mean, yeah, I guess like this is a tiny microcosm of some of the things captured in city versus country type movies, urbanoia movies, hillbilly horror, whatever we call them. Yeah. You think there's enough there to like kind of call it that a scene from that kind of movie? Uh, I I think throughout, like you're you're getting a lot of things uh, thrown in there about these characters, and and you get the sense they're like in a small town. And uh, I think with Megan Fox's character, she's like, uh, like always talking up like the city, I think, and like people like that the outside world, like being uh, this other kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say more enlightened, but uh, I think you can tell she definitely kind of uh, looks up to people from the city. And I think it plays into that dynamic that like our focus audience here is this the small town uh, in, in rural America, Minnesota, I think, too, right? Oh, does this take place in Minnesota? I got the feeling this was taking place in Minnesota for some reason. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, Ash, that's that's a really interesting take. Uh, at first, I thought you were saying just this kind of scene, but... Um, and uh, if you're a new listener, Ashwin and I have talked about like the city versus country stuff in movies like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or The Hills Have Eyes, um, Deliverance, where... City folk come into a rural area acting like they're better than everybody, and then you get kind of a city versus country dynamic, you know. The city comes in pompous and everything and then has to kind of, like, fight the country. And, and how do they stack up? How do they... A lot of it's almost like... I want to call it masculinity. Like, yeah, are you as tough as, as the people in the country? And, and some of it also deals with... You think you're better than the country, but you really need the country, like Deliverance does. We right. talked about, um, you know, like the the rural areas supporting the city in various ways economically. Yeah, right, right. Okay, but like to to draw that thread through here, you're kind of saying, if I understand correctly, like Megan Fox is in the small town, but she kind of feels like she's better than the small town. And wants to get to the city. Right, like she's kind of destined to leave it. So there's yeah. almost like a city versus country divide just in the mentality of Megan Fox versus the mentality of everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, it's not just her. I think it's also the band, which you'll talk about. I think in one of their interactions, um, Needy's asking like, why would you come to like a shitty town like this? And they're like, Oh, sometimes we like have to, and they even like talk down to the the town or something. So I, I think there's like a, for, from Megan Fox and then from uh, the band, I think you, you hear that sentiment. Right, right. They always mispronounce, like, misstate the name of the town, too, right? Oh, yeah. They call it, like, Devil's Lake, and it's Devil's Kettle, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and it is in Minnesota. I, I think, uh, is that it? Have, have you heard of this place? Devil's Kettle? No, I haven't, but that, that doesn't mean much. I imagine it's fictional, but but who knows? Okay. Um, Interesting. Okay, that's really interesting to think about. And then, and so many of the, like, city versus country movies, you kind of... Uh, have a dynamic where the city is exploiting the country right you and get some of that the city here. really needs the country um <laughs> wow there's a really like city versus country dynamic going on between jennifer and needy oh yeah whereas wow. jennifer thinks she's better than needy and needy herself is named like because she's so needy and needs jennifer's friendship Damn. but really throughout the movie it kind of becomes clear that jennifer kind of needs needy more yeah yeah, um, yeah. Wow. And that's just like so that's like the themes that play out in city versus country movies. Like you come into in Deliverance, they come in thinking they're better than everything, but then you kind of realize A that they're not and like without the country, the city wouldn't even be able to function. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And wow. Th- the whole like 
ecosystem of high school is necessary for Jennifer to even be this like popular alpha sure girl right yeah because outside of that like uh what is she right that's, sure right. yeah no that, that's true i think it plays out in that friendship and it also plays out in like one of the villains like like the band in this film and like how they use the people of the country for their benefit sure right right they're exploiting that as well especially with the, the through the trees which is like <laughs> it, it, it's not a country song it's an emo song but it reminds me of Bo Burnham plays a country singer on Parks and Rec Oh, at some point and he like is a real dick and he's not country at all but he sings all these songs about the troops and it's just totally exploiting <laughs> what like middle America wants to hear that's kind of where they went with this one too right yeah right through the trees is kind of that song yeah yeah that's hilarious but the emo version right yeah the emo version for, of for high school country. girls in small towns yeah there you go wow man city versus country is not something i expected to come up during this discussion but i think you're right. kind of dead on actually that's yeah cool. I, th- I think there's an element of it there for sure cool man well done thanks um so yeah this bar starts on fire killing everyone inside, some of whom are people the girls know quite well. And the only people that escape alive are the band Low Shoulder and Needy and Jennifer. Hey, and the leads- uh, do you, oh, go oh, ahead. did you get a sense for, like, uh, did, was the band in on the fire or uh, was this like an accident? I'm still slightly confused, but my perception was that the band was in on the fire. Like, okay. They didn't seem surprised enough. They kind of just, and they like were very calm when exiting. Yeah, the, right the bar okay okay cool yeah they never really clarified this but i i think yeah as a viewer you're led to kind of suspect them of doing this right since it works yeah. out in their favor okay yeah um so the lead singer low shoulder is played by adam brody and he convinces jennifer when they're outside the building's burning and everything people are running out of it in flames he convinces jennifer that the safest place to be right now is in the band's van even though needy's trying to convince jennifer like no let's just drive home right now Jennifer seems a bit drunk and kind of out of it. Perhaps she's even traumatized by what's gone on. And she agrees to get in the van despite Needy's protests. I found their response, both Needy and Jennifer's, very unrealistic to what had just happened. They had no interest in calling the cops. When Needy gets home, she calls her boyfriend and he's like, oh, do you want me to come over? And she's like, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's like you just watched people burning yeah alive to their death and then you almost died and we never saw anyone call the cops yeah or like truly mourn the fact that a bunch of people they know just burned to death yeah is that and was that weird to you that it the movie was like, just kind of keeps on humming it, it was they, they i think they really underplayed what happened here i couldn't tell if that was the comedy angle of this that like this horrific thing happened and the band just like out there being like hey why don't you come in the car with us and it's just like supposed to be like silly and absurd or um, are we supposed to believe that, like, the shock, like, the, these are two women, uh, two teenage girls who just went through, like, this devastating thing, and they're just, like, in a state of shock, and maybe, uh, like, I mean, Jennifer, she, she she seems like she's just quiet, right, and she just kind of, like, gets into that van, um, and you can tell she's pretty shocked, and I don't know if what we're seeing about Needy, if, if that's, like, shock as well, where she just, like, runs home and um, is more worried about her friend, so I don't know, man, it's hard to put myself in their shoes, but yeah, you would think like immediate reaction is like call the cops, panic. Um, yeah, that'd be more distressed, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not only it would be it makes sense with 
Jennifer's character. It does seem like she's in a bit of shock. But then for Needy to do the same thing when she's portrayed as a level-headed character, and then for her boyfriend, Chip, to not react stronger, too. Like, what? Like, my yeah. God, I'm coming over now. It's just like, oh, bummer. Like, you want me to come over? Or <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, but like you said, is that part of the comedy? If so, it kind of went over <laughs> my head there. Yeah, I, I, I thought that. But then I, f- I feel like the rest of the film, they give like the due that like that tragedy uh deserved right when it like right, after this, yeah yeah very strange to me yeah but yeah you're right like in the moment it was very uh it was strange Th- didn't add up agreed so later that night jennifer shows up at needy's house covered in blood and looking like she's been stabbed uh, however, she doesn't seem hurt, and she ravages some meat from inside the fridge. She barfs up a large amount of black blood or bile or something, and almost attacks Needy by biting her neck, but stops herself short of doing so, and leaves Needy's house. The next th- morning in school, she oh, I, seems I, totally... F- oh, sorry. Oh, I, I thought that was kind of a, a cool, scary scene. What, what did you think? Yes, that was actually my favorite scene of the movie, um... She looks really disturbing when she gives kind of a crooked, almost like intoxicated smile at Needy, right? Do you do you remember the specific smile I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a really creepy one, and it works. It's very creepy, yeah. And uh, I, I think that, and the barfing of the black bile is fine, but I just feel like I want more of Megan Fox being very creepy. Like, yeah. I want more of this scene throughout the movie. I know, I know, same. That's like one of my critiques of it too. Is like we get so uh, little of this, and it's awesome. And I, I think when when she like screams too here, it, like it sounds like monstrous. It's it's pretty. It, like the scene works really well. Yeah, I, I think she's cool. It's like this brooding, like intimidating demonic force. Right. Exactly. Um, the next morning in school, Jennifer seems totally fine. She's blowing off Needy's concerns about what happened last night, even the fire at the bar, despite the fact that the entire school is mourning the loss of the classmates and teachers that died there. A rumor is spread that the band Low Shoulder saved people from the fire, and they become a famous band, with one song in particular being dedicated to the community of Devil's Kettle, uh, which they always mistakenly call Devil's Lake, as we said. That song's <laughs> called Through the Trees, which is just the super... Hokey emo ballad. Uh, at school on this day, Jennifer corners a football player who's lost one of his best friends. She corners him in the woods near the school and eats him. Uh, but a few weeks after eating this jock, Jennifer is looking worn down and unhealthy. Hey, what, she what, at first. Oh, what, what did you think of that eating scene? Did did, did you like that as much as the uh, the first scene where we see her? I uh, yeah, I didn't care for this one. It just felt kind of like. Uh, it felt kind of CGI heavy. Uh, yeah, with her mouth like kind of turning. Yeah, into with the like cocking the mouth all the way open. Um, yeah, and there wasn't really as much suspense. It seemed like played more for humor and maybe like a little bit of sexiness. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I I wasn't super on board with this. Um, but what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean it, w- it wasn't as great as that that kitchen scene. Um, but I, I thought it was funny like how the animals show up. Like that just seemed like a random. Uh, thing that they never really explain, like why would a bunch of animals come watch you uh, eat this guy? Um, that was a strange touch. What yeah. was that about? <laughs> I don't know. It felt like something out of a Disney movie. Like she's like seducing this guy, and all these like deer and stuff are just kind of coming around and watching him. Yeah, it was like Snow White. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah, not not as scary as uh, that kitchen sequence. Yeah. 
Um, so there's this kid, this emo kid named Colin, who asks Jennifer out on a date a few weeks after she kills this chuck. Um, she says no at first, but once she learned that Needy thinks he's cool, she accepts his invite for a date. And later that night, she eats him. Uh, it's kind of a similar scene to when she ate the jock, right? I think so. Yeah. It's more like comedy and sexiness rather than like true horror to me. Uh, I think you get a little bit more gory here because isn't she like at one point like dipping her, her hands into like his stomach and like scooping his insides out to eat it? Yeah. I mean, it's gory for sure. Like you with both of the kills, you see a lot of blood and guts. Yeah. Yeah. That, that aspect of horror it does have. Yeah. With that. I just, just thought I wanted more of that, of that Jennifer we saw come home to Needy's house that night. Like, yeah. Why don't we get anything like that? I know, I know, I know. That was like the best version. Um, yeah. W- uh, this this scene it cuts back and forth between her and this Colin guy, and then Needy having sex. What might be the first time with her boyfriend? Was that the first time? I think. No, so. I don't think that was their first time. Oh. Yeah. So Needy like seems to sense the fact that she's killing Chip in that exact. She seems like to have a psychic connection with Jennifer. Yeah, right. Is that she's how like, you read that? I think so. Like she's like seeing the dead bodies of like who she's who Jennifer's killing while they're having while she's having sex with her boyfriend. What yeah, I, I guess what what was the point of that scene? Or like were they trying to draw a parallel between Jennifer on one hand seducing and killing this guy versus Needy having sex with uh her boyfriend? Maybe they were trying to, like, say that her appetite for men, like, literally eating them was symbolic of, like, the budding sexual desires of teenage women, but, mm. uh, or teenage girls, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. I, I thought maybe in one, uh, in one scenario you've got Needy with her boyfriend, who I think, um, you know, he got condoms and he was, like, really nervous and, like, they're doing it. On the other hand, you have, like, Jennifer, who's, like, um you know, uh, going uh, to town with this guy and, like, killing him? And is it, like, showing, like, the violence in sex and, like, maybe uh, switching roles where, um, I don't know, like, the penetration's on a, on a different side or something? That, I don't oh, know. Oh, interesting. Back to penetration. Here we are. Yeah, it always comes back to penetration, man. <laughs> That's <laughs> Sure, right. And, I mean, you can, this movie, culturally, now that we've got some space, is kind of, Viewed as like a Me Too type movie, so for lack of a better term, I'm sorry, I feel like that's kind of reductive to call it a Me Too movie, but it, yeah, it, it's looked at through that lens now, so, you know, you might be onto something there, which she's the one who is having sex, just, to, she's using somebody. Right. You know, it, it, so many movies from other time periods might portray somebody like a dude arranging to meet a woman and just have unimportant sex with her and in this film Jennifer is doing that you know the murder and eating is the symbolism for the sex so and doing it specifically just because her friend she doesn't seem needy doesn't seem romantically interested in Colin but she seems to think he's like a good guy and and likes him as a friend and so it seems like there's a lot going on too which we haven't touched on yet and just the dynamics between these two as friends and high school friendships, high school friendships between girls and, and the power dynamics there kind of. So Jennifer kind of does this as a power move. And if you interpret it as symbolic of sex, then that kind of makes sense. You know, she's having sex with this dude because she knows it will get under needy skin. 
Yeah. And that's yeah. the kind of girl that they portray Jennifer as. Like, right. She's not a great person. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Which, yeah, that, that's such an interesting dynamic to the friendship that, like, yeah, she's so dependent or uh, she uses needy for an advantage. Um, and they, they paint that with, like, I know there's like a flashback of them playing in a sandbox. And uh, is like Jennifer that, like, gets a cut and needy, like, drinks her blood or something. Yeah, like, right, and and that touches on something else, that throughout the movie so far, there's been subtle hints that there may be something sexual to their friendship. Yeah, right, right, right exactly, and then that kind of yeah. comes uh, to fruition here shortly. Yeah, yeah, the, this evening, actually, I think she, Needy kind of leaves that sexual uh, encounter with Chip because she senses something's going on with Jennifer, and they meet up that night, and Jennifer kind of tells her the whole story. She says that, uh, and and we we are kind of told it as the audience via flashback. Jennifer says the band Low Shoulder captured her and tried to sacrifice her to Satan in order for the band to become more successful. They assumed she was a virgin, but since she was not, the sacrifice ritual backfired, and Jennifer became possessed by a demon. She now needs to feed to gain her strength, and if she's fed, she's nearly impervious to harm. If she's not, she kind of grows weak. Um, she shows Needy, you know, if she cuts herself, that it heals right away. And here is also, as we were alluding to, a scene where the two of them kiss, re- revealing that the sexual tension between them the whole time is is real. Yeah, what was your take on that? Because uh, I think earlier when they're at the show... They hold hands, and uh, yeah, I feel like Needy is always kind of like, uh, I, I feel like the attraction was from Needy or something, but was, was there a sexual attraction there? Or like, was Needy in love with her? Or what, what, what do you think this was? I, I assumed it is both of them being bisexual, because later on Jennifer makes a comment like, I go both ways. It's kind of a jokey line about how she's about to eat Needy now, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, that could be read as, okay, Jennifer really did, was attracted to both men and women. And then the fact that Needy really does seem in an authentic relationship with Chip. It doesn't seem like he's just because she hasn't come out yet. It does seem like she's really in love with him and attracted to him. But it also seems she feels the same about Jennifer. Yeah, and I think he calls her out on that like throughout the film. Like, you're always so worried about Jennifer or like putting her above like us uh so yeah that's a good call i think i think you're right yeah there's something there that she hasn't like spoken out which hmm, that's yeah that's a whole nother interesting angle like this is about her repressing her feelings whereas jennifer is like out with them yeah right but like not necessarily in real life just post post demon yeah yeah there's a lot to be read into this movie um i think that's probably part of its growth and cult status lately. Right, right. Yeah, it's got a few layers, I think. I really liked in the scene where the band is sacrificing her. He, like, whips out a piece of paper <laughs> to say the ritual, and one of the other band members is like, is that it? And he's like, yeah, I found it online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some really good one-liners. Uh, I think the other one's like, do you, you just want to be in a band, or do you want to be like Adam Levine or like the guy from Rune 5 or something? Uh, yeah. This- that's a lot of hilarious. And then though. Adam Brody's telling Jennifer everything they're going to do to her. Like, we're going to sacrifice you and kill you. And then Dirk here is going to wear your face. And he's like, <laughs> relax, I'm kidding about the face. The rest is going to happen, though. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. 
again, lines that probably aren't funny now for our listeners to hear us say them, but I think that they did work in the movie. Like, there are funny lines in this movie. Yeah, yeah, in a dark way, uh, there are. Um, so, yeah, do you think... I'm a little unclear, too. Like, the sacrifice was a failure, but it seems, whether or not Satan himself did it, that the band has achieved success regardless. And did mm-hmm. Satan start that fire for them and then start the rumor that they help save people? Because that's really what yeah. made them big. Propels them to yeah, start them. Did Satan like edit edit Wikipedia for them? I know. I mean, that that would make Satan like quite a marketing PR person if right. uh, he, he set this whole thing up. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's that'd, that'd be pretty brilliant. I I don't know. I, I on one hand, you like you have to believe in the supernatural because Jennifer is possessed. Uh, so then you do know like Satan was involved somehow. But I don't know. Like the band sucked, and they just kind of took advantage of like this uh, terrible thing. I thought, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a definitive answer. Do you, what, what do you think? I Yeah, I couldn't. I think the movie is supposed to mean like, yeah, Satan Satan helped them out because of what they did. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's all a little blurry and gray to me. Not that I really need to know, but yeah, yeah there's, some, there's just some aspects of the movie where I'm like, huh, that didn't quite add up. And I feel like there were enough of them that it started to bother me after a while. Yeah. Here's another random take, and this might be completely out of nowhere. Did you feel a lot of, like, post-9-11 vibes in this film? Hmm. Post-9-11 vibes. Expand. Um, Okay, so they're at the bar. She's buying uh, them drinks, and she buys them uh, a shot. Like, I forget what it's called, the freedom shot or something. And it's like... Oh, yeah, like the two towers. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like the two towers. But if you if, if it sits around, then it turns brown. She's like, you have to drink it, otherwise it turns brown. Which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but then even, like, uh, the shock uh, the next day and, like, the, what the community's going through, it, it felt very much like, you know, like what happened, like, in 9-11 and, like, what kind of uh, generations of people went through. Uh, like, the next day, this, like, devastation of, like, what's happened and then, like, a band coming or someone coming and kind of maybe taking advantage of that with, like, you know, some kind of song that brings people together and, and making money off of that or capitalizing off of that tragedy. Um, I, I couldn't tell if there was, like, an overt uh, commentary here or not. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I wonder when Diablo wrote the script. And, I mean, th- yeah, this movie came out eight years later, but that really loomed large over American culture and sentiment for yeah know, the next decade. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought there were, like, two or three things, which kind of made me uh, pause and wonder if they were trying to nod to any of the events there. But yeah, sure. could be, could I, be I feel stretch. like it probably doesn't hurt that you and I were probably both sitting in our high school classes when we learned about the two towers, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, so I felt yeah, like... it was almost like a similar vibe that that day. So yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Something to look, look into. Yeah, for sure. Um. So yeah, let's see. Where are we? So Needy learns all this about Jennifer, right? Jennifer spilled the beans about what, what's going on with her. And Needy tells Chip, and he doesn't believe her. She breaks up with him, I think presumably to protect him, as it seems that Jennifer may have gone after Colin simply because Needy liked him, right? Was that your read on that? Yeah, I think so. And then she researches demons in the occult section of the school library and learns that Jennifer can be killed if it's done when she is weak and needing to feed. 
So now that they're broken up, Chip is now going to prom by himself since Needy dumped him, but Jennifer meets him on the way there and begins seducing him. She takes him to an abandoned pool, uh, which is where another climactic scene in a teen girl horror movie takes place. Looking oh. It follows. It follows, yeah, yeah, good call. Uh, abandoned pools are kind of popular in horror movies in general. Abandoned pools, you got prom night going on here in the background, yeah, which is like a yep. carry thing. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Oh, Some man. Trips. So she takes him to an abandoned pool and begins feeding off of him before Needy comes to his rescue. Needy and Chip succeed in temporarily thwarting Jennifer. Chip ends up impaling her with a pool skimmer and she scurries away. However, Chip succumbs to his wounds as Needy is crying over him and they both confess their love to each other. Uh, and there's kind of, not only is there a bit of a showdown physically between Needy and Jennifer in this scene, but kind of the emotional friendship tension coming to a head like she asks why you need chip is it just to tick me off or are you just insecure and i think it's at this yeah. moment right where jennifer is like well, insecure why would i be insecure i was homecoming queen and blah 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 and <laughs> you can see like the cracks in her facade like the thing she tells herself why am i insecure why do i need to be insecure i was this this but she still feels that way yeah and like uh needy's like calling her out on like Oh, you, you like, uh, oh, what, what do you like? Does she drink something to stay skinny or something? Mm. Uh, or, laxatives. Oh yeah. Yeah. Laxatives to stay skinny and stuff. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is needy really kind of coming into her own and like getting that courage to like step up and call her friend out maybe for all these years that maybe she's been kept under the hood. Agreed. Yeah. And I think it reveals too that Jennifer really doesn't have much going on for her in her life aside from this superficial stuff. Like needy has got, We've seen her interact with her mom. They seem to have a good relationship. Her and Chip have a good relationship. She's friends with Colin. Yeah. Like, Needy doesn't truly need Jennifer. It's the other way around. Exactly. Yep. Um, so later in the film, shortly after this, Needy finds Jennifer in her bedroom, breaks in, and engages her in a fight to the death armed with a uni- utility knife. Jennifer bites Needy in the shoulder, air, neck area, but Needy keeps fighting. Jennifer levitates both of them into the air above her bed, but while they're up there, Needy rips the BFF necklace from Jennifer's neck, which somehow causes Jennifer to sink back down to the bed, seemingly momentarily paralyzed, and this gives Needy the opportunity to stab her with the utility knife, killing Jennifer as Jennifer says, My tit! And then (laughs) Needy says, No, your heart. Did you understand why Jennifer fell back down at the bed after she ripped off the BFF necklace? No, I was really confused. I thought I would read an explanation of it, but uh, no. Was that like a metaphor for like with the, uh, she's breaking the friendship and without that Jennifer uh, loses all her power or doesn't exist? Or what, what, what do you make of it? Right. I think you can take that as the metaphor of, yes, she truly needs that friendship. And if she doesn't have it, you know, she collapses. But so that's the metaphor, but I don't understand the reality of it. Why would ripping the necklace off cause her to fall back down to the bed? Mm, yeah, when yeah. she's the one that, she's the reason they're up there. She's the one levitating. Right, yeah. No, that, that doesn't uh, make sense. Uh, th- yeah. yeah, it doesn't hold up with the supernatural premise. Um, but but hmm. it could be a moment in this film where, like, the metaphor takes over and, like, they're just trying to drive a point home versus play to the rules of being possessed, maybe. Right, yeah. You know I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, don't break the rules. <laughs> uh, and then the line, my tit, 
know your heart. I think you can read into that what what you will. Like Jennifer thinks it's all about superficial things, and Jen, you know, Needy saying no, like it's about what's in your heart. Um, yeah, damn, that's deep. Yeah, I I listened to an interview with Diablo Cody. Both so um, Eli Roth's podcast, History of Horror. I guess it was a show on AMC. A series, but there's a podcast too called History of Horror, and he interviews both Diablo Cody and Megan Fox in two different episodes. Mm-hmm. So they both talk about this movie, and I can't remember the specific phrase that Diablo Cody had about this line, my tit, know your heart. Um, but I would encourage people to go listen to those episodes, both with Diablo Cody and Megan Fox. Um, oh, what do they say about it? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember what they say about this specific line. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but we can talk more in the review about what they say about the movie. Okay. I like in this scene, it was like a callback to a scene from the beginning when Needy first starts to narrate the story from the institution that she's in. We see her like lurking outside Megan's window. Yeah. Um, and that was what this scene was. So I thought that was kind of cool that they called back to that and like connected it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's like the first shot you see of the film. Yeah. So, so neat. Uh, and like, uh, even what's playing on the TV in the background here, I think, uh, heightens the theme of the film. Cause like she's watching maybe like a workout video or something where some guy is like explaining to a woman how to like keep his body fit or something. Right. Like how to get her butt tight and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's like very, very. There's like a a funny line in there too. He's like, "Yeah, I know you wanted to touch it, not on this show." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty hilarious. Um. It's a so show. after Needy thwarts Jennifer, she stabbed her. She's Jennifer's now dead on the bed. Jennifer's mother walks in, and we move to the present moment where we can cause assume how A led to B. And Needy's now imprisoned and currently in solitary confinement for kicking that guard. And we presume she ended up there because she very clearly murdered Jennifer. And nobody knows that Jennifer was possessed by a demon. But here we learn that in being bitten by Jennifer, Needy absorbs some of the demon's powers. So she levitates into the air in her solitary confinement cell. She kicks out a window that was too high for her to reach otherwise. And she escapes, and then she finds the band Low Shoulder and murders them all as revealed through some shots that are interspliced with the end credits. And that's the end of the movie. How did you feel about that ending? Uh, I, You know, it reminded me a little bit of one of the shots or skits from VHS, just like the way it was uh, shown. Because I think you're just seeing the after-image photos, and you see her like walking around in the security camera a little bit. So I, I liked like the low-production element of it and like, the after where it's like bloody murder scene. I, th- I thought that was cool. What, what did you think? I liked that element of it too, but I did not like that we had, as far as I could perceive, there was no foreshadowing that Needy would absorb some of those powers. Yeah. So if they had just sprinkled a little bit of a hint earlier in the film that that could happen, I would have been more bought into it here. But it kind of feels just like out of nowhere that yeah. she just, oh, by the way, I can levitate now and kick <laughs> a powerful kick that breaks this window out yeah. and get out of here. Yeah, um, it, it begs the question, like, how long has she been sitting in that institution for before she, she's doing that? And, like, and like, why has she been waiting this long to do that? Yeah, right? Yeah, it's just, it's one of those, like I was referring to before, there's a few points of logic that just, 
I'm a little iffy on through the movie and they accumulate enough to the point where it kind of bugs me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. I know we've talked on previous episodes about, uh, I don't know how to say it in Latin, but it's like the phrase is like deus ex machina or something like that, like God from the machine where in the ending some exterior force comes oh. and saves the characters instead of them saving themselves through their own uh, agency. Sure. And even though Needy does save herself by escaping from the prison, it's this like otherworldly force like, oh, by the way, I, some of those demons' powers... Uh, are in me now. It it just feels a little cheap, like a it's, shortcut. Yeah, it's cheap. I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like, um, like, did you feel like sympathy for her when she's like captured and like stuck in this institution? I, I guess like, yeah, I, I didn't see it as like, oh, shoot, she has to like get out of there somehow. And then fortunately, like the, she has this card up her sleeve that gets her out of there. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like you almost didn't need that ending. Like it would have been fine with her ending, like locked up. But I, I don't know. I like, think so too. It was kind of bleak because her boyfriend dies and she has to kill her best friend and then ends up in the institution. And I almost kind of would have liked that ending. It is yeah. bleak for a lighthearted movie like this, but it, in a weird way, it kind of makes it hit a yeah. little harder. It does. It does. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, your, your friendship kind of destroyed, like, yeah, your best friend and the relationship that went down there uh, destroyed, like, this whole, your, your whole family, your whole town, your future, your prospect, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think they just had to throw that in because they got to the end and realized that the band was still out there and they needed a way to loop the circle back or, or close the, the loop on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe you're right. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of the film overall? Uh, you know, I, I think like, it, as we talked about, like the, I thought the writing was really sharp. Uh, the, the acting both by Amanda and, uh, Megan, uh, the two leads were, were was really well done and fit the characters really well. And I think you're right. There's like a lot of layers to this story that you can like keep peeling it back and like look at it in different ways. So it's like very open interpretation, which at sometimes is frustrating because you don't know if what you're seeing. Uh, it's it's not as it like explained. Uh, so yeah, a lot, a lot of great strengths there. But then yeah, the weakness is like I would have loved to see more of Jennifer, her killing more people, more things like the kitchen scene where like a lot of suspense being built up. The kills I thought in the second half got either very few or just like not like interesting enough uh, to carry like the the momentum of the film. So it kind of slowed down for me like halfway through the film. And uh, that yeah, the ending felt a little bit unorganized and um, not put together very well. Um, even though it was cool to see her kill everyone, but uh, yeah, from a storyline perspective, it kind of got a little messy. Uh, what about you? What, what were your thoughts? I agree. I feel like I wanted the movie to be both funnier and scarier. Uh, yeah. We did mention there are funny lines in this movie. Uh, I I think that's very true. But I feel like the movie is like, huh, funny and not ha 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 funny, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I didn't really laugh out loud much. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's clever. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it's funny enough to be like succeed as a comedy. And I just don't think there's enough horror elements that are really like given enough weight to make it a great horror movie i like we said i really like that scene when she comes to needy's house that's the best scene in the movie jennifer is really disturbing and creepy in that and it's i will say that the two the strength i'll echo for you is amanda and jennifer or Amanda and Megan both gave great performances. I think that's the film's biggest strength. Awesome it is, performances. Yeah. Um, 
But I just wish we could have gotten more of that version of Megan Fox. But mm-hmm. it's just not. It's not baked into the script. It's either not baked into the strip script or those scenes weren't directed that way. They were more just like quirky, funny. Yeah. Teenage comedy, sex comedy kills more than like this is a fucking horror movie kills. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that really you could have still juggled the same two things even more successfully true too. You could have kept it this funny teen comedy, but also been like, holy shit, these kills are actually kind of scary. Yeah. Um, right. They weren't, they weren't. And I, I do think there was an over reliance on CGI, but at the same time I saw Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger's names, Berger's name in the credits. So clearly there were some practical effects involved, but I do think there's a few CGI moments that just don't age well, and I just kind of wonder why. Wasn't this um, the K&B group? Yeah, yeah. Um, Nicotero and Berger are the the Did N they? and the B. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, no, the C- CGI doesn't play well. But this was a time of, like, heavy CGI. It was. This is a, a time period where people weren't done with it yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, from the get-go, there were people who weren't on board with CGI, but I do think we're in a bit of a backlash against CGI and horror moments. So sure. I think if this movie was made today, they wouldn't have handled that the way they did. Yeah. I would hope. Yep, yep. You know, uh, I, I hear you on the horror elements. I'm trying to think of, like, it's been a while since we've seen, like, a horror comedy, like a, a, maybe the Gremlins or, or something more recently uh, that we've seen. But like in those types of films, like yeah, the, the horror it's 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 not uh, it's not made to scare you. So this one I thought did have like that one scene which was kind of scary, and um, I don't know. You wouldn't say like the pool scene had elements of scariness. Like it, it was a, like the the environment was like pretty run down and and, and gross, and uh, they're fighting in the water. She's levitating. Um, you didn't feel like that that was like done very effectively. I didn't. The setting was cool, but I don't think it was executed all that well. I wasn't intrigued by it. Yeah, and and I guess because in that scene you've got like dialogue going as well, like they're kind of like right. yelling at each other. So that, yeah, that yeah, which is fine. I, I do think the two tones could have been juggled more effectively. I think it could have been scary and funny and dramatic yeah. between the two friends as their friendship comes to a head here. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, um, I, I wonder if that's because like you have a director and a writer who like, this is maybe their first horror film. So they're still working on that balance. Right. Yeah. Quite possibly. And Diablo Cody has said she wants to do more horror, but she feels like she, she can't really get the in because this movie did not do well. And then I think she, the impression I got from what she said in the interview was like, yeah, I, my foot can't get in that door anymore. Oh, because of this film. Wow. Yeah. But I would be interested to see you know, what else she does. And she's clearly interested in horror, you know, and Juno, they have those lines about uh, comparing each of their favorite horror movies and which one is better. It's Suspiria and uh, Wizard of Gore. Oh, that's cool. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she's a fan of horror, um, but yeah, yeah, I would like to see more from her. I do feel like, I think Juno is incredible. I do think it's an awesome script. I don't know. Some of the quirky elements of that script, I was maybe a little fatigued by once they appeared in this script. Like, oh, mm-hmm. the lingo is charming at first, but I do feel like it got a little old and wasn't adding much. 
Yeah. Um, also, there's some lines that are like meant to be funny, but it just is not the right time for them. Like at one point, oh. Chip is talking to Needy. I think maybe it's like post breakup or when they're about to break up, and he's like, "I care about you as a person, not just some girl I made love to for four minutes last night." Yeah, which is not necessarily an unfunny line, but Chip is a sincere character in the movie, so I just don't feel like that line is right for him to say. Oh, like uh, he's uh, he's not like crass like that. Yeah, he's yeah exactly. He's not crass. He's he does he has the emotional intelligence not to say that. Right. Um, and I right. don't think he's being witty and tongue in cheek and and like joking when he says it. Yeah. Unless I just totally misread the tone, which is possible. Sure, sure. Um, so I just feel like there are some elements where what Diablo Cody is trying to do with the script and the dialogue doesn't necessarily work for me. Yeah. And do you think if you had seen this like back in 2008 or whatever, it would have, like, you know, there's a whole like different style of humor back then than there is now. And like, yeah, Juno, Juno like really hit at that time. You had like Napoleon Dynamites and things. Uh, or I guess that was a few years before that. But do you think like back then this would have like been a lot more funnier and just like now that humor doesn't hold up? It just hasn't aged well? I don't think so. I don't think that's the problem for me. Okay. I, it's not that I don't think it's funny. I just like don't think there was enough truly funny. There weren't enough truly funny or truly scary moments. Yeah. To yeah. really... There's just nothing in this movie that really pops to me. Right. Except that one scene, maybe. Uh, yeah, except that one scene, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I hear. I, I think Diablo's writing isn't like... Yeah, I think a lot of people like to uh, write or like create scenes, uh, like stand out things. Hers like seems like very like even toned, where like you just yeah. have kind of like these smart things embedded throughout versus like uh, popping uh, scenes or anything like that or popping comments. Right. Yeah, true. Even like Juno, as quirky as it is, it's a pretty understated movie. There are very few gigantic moments in that movie. And even when they are, they're like very subtly gigantic, like her pulling over and like scribbling a note on a piece of scrap paper and then like going and pinning it to someone's door. Like Mm -hmm. that's a very tiny moment. It's a big moment in the context of that movie, though. Um, Sure. And so maybe some of that just doesn't translate to a horror comedy. Like I want most of my horror comedies to be bigger and bolder. Like, yeah, I love a splat stick comedy. There's no reason they couldn't have added some splat stick into this, right? These, (laughs) these kills are pretty gory. Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but you don't think the gore was like the splat stick? Like the, no, the, I mean, I guess like her vomiting that black stuff everywhere is, but there's nothing really comedic about the gore when she kills the guys, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. I think they they try to go dark there, but it's like too quick as well. Yeah, um, agreed. So, yeah, 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 to, to, yeah. I, I hear your point. I, I think it's just like a little bit of inexperience with like yeah, making a horror film here that that yeah. comes through. Um. So Megan Fox in her interview on the history of horror was kind of painting Jennifer as a victim herself, which is understandable to a degree. Like she sees Jennifer as a victim of the misogynistic and patriarchal world and hierarchy that has been set up for her in as a high school girl, as a teenage girl, as a woman coming into her sexuality. Um, 
you know, you, you want to be sexy, but you're demonized if you're too sexy. Um, if you are sexy, you should pretend you don't want that or that you aren't aware that you are or, or whatever. You have to figure out how to juggle that. And that Jennifer's really just a victim and she's unhappy. And it's, I, I totally get that. And this is where I kind of wanted to talk about putting the pin in both the backlash against Megan Fox and how we look at it post Me Too and her calling Michael Bay Adolf Hitler. It's like the two things can exist at the same time. Yes, I can't say there was no misogyny against the backlash in against Megan Fox, but at the same time, like, if you call the director who is kind of like your meal ticket, which is it sounds mean to say, but I mean, if you are a megastar because of the movies he's directed, Adolf Hitler, like, you, <laughs> like, it's not necessarily a good choice. And yeah, there probably will be backlash. And it sounds like just the way she conducted herself in general was like leading people to think certain things about her. She was very young when all this was happening. So I'm not trying to blame her or anything. But I think I'm taking this all and trying to parallel it to the way we're re-examining this movie now and saying, oh, it's this, like, you can re-examine it now and say, really, Jennifer is the victim. But Jennifer, also as a character, makes really bad decisions. She treats people horribly. So, yes, she's a victim, but it's hard for me to read the movie that way without, like, really doing some digging and like post viewing analysis that yeah isn't necessarily hinted at as much as I think it could be in the film. That's interesting, man. Because uh, I feel like uh, this movie, um, it, the, her character is almost like raped in the beginning, right? Like, uh, I know she's not raped. I mean, she's put in a van and taken, and they do this thing on her. But it almost seemed like a parallel for like, yeah, a, a young girl goes to a concert. The band like grabs her, takes her away, does something to her. And so, yeah, I, I feel like off the bat, you're kind of like, uh, oh, my God, like what happened to this girl? And then it's kind of cool because she uh, becomes like this monster that's kind of like, you know, taking on like these oppressors of like the the, the, the men in this film um, and kind of like turning the tables. So I, I think a lot of people gravitate towards it that way. But I, I do think in the beginning, they, they kind of set her up as a little bit of a victim with with like what happens to her. Right. Right, yeah, and I mean, now that you say that, I feel like I sound really crass, saying, like, she's not the victim, but yeah, <laughs> you're, she was sac- tried to sacrifice, made a sacrifice to the devil. And yeah, Diablo <laughs> Cody said the same, like, that is code for a rape scene in, in that that sacrifice ritual. That is code for the band kind of raping her. So yeah, in that sense, she is totally the victim. Um, and then, yeah, she goes after men and she kills them all. But at the same time, she was a really bad friend from the get-go in this movie. Yeah. She's made out to be like the manipulative jerk. She doesn't have many elements of humanity painted onto her throughout the movie. And she then gets exacts revenge against other boys who have nothing to do with it. Yeah. And Needy is the one who ends up killing the band. So... Right. Yeah, there's definitely things to read into this movie, and I think it makes for a really interesting discussion, and I imagine some people might kind of reach out to me and tell me how wrong I am, but <laughs> I think I'm, my... I'm sending an email right my, now. 
What'd you say? You're going to do sending, it right now. I mean, yeah, I'm writing you an email right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're just right, <laughs> writing me an email as you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say. I feel like the movie is more interesting to talk about afterwards. And I think maybe the discussions that have been looming in the horror movie culture about this movie almost give the movie more credit than it deserves on its own as a movie. I I don't think the movie itself is as entertaining as the conversation that can be had around it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it just, uh, it's like a lucky coincidence that like, uh, we've like progressed this way where like selling this movie becomes a lot more interesting and layered. Um, yeah, but, right. But, and I'm not saying these, these messages don't exist in the movie at all, but I'm, I don't know. It's just not as, uh, cut and dry and obvious as everyone seems to make it out to be when you hear other people discuss the, uh, illusions and the symbolism in this movie. Sure. I, I would agree with you if it wasn't like Diablo uh, behind this, because I, I think she's like a very intentful writer, or, like has a lot of like uh, direction which in what she wants to say. She's obviously like kind of pretty outspoken. And we saw this in Juno and she wants like give us like full characters who are nuanced. And uh, I think you're exactly right. Like Megan Fox's character, Jennifer, uh, she's like not a perfect person. Like she's just a terrible person. But I, th- I think this movie brings up the discussion, like what role does society have in making her who she is like she obviously like had all this pressure on her to uh, as as jennifer to like you know try to be this person or this image that she was striving to be and how she had to like use her friend to become that person but then at the same time how that person becomes a, a victim and, and like yeah the whole power dynamic so i i think all of that can be true um but i i, I don't know I, I think i would give diablo credit here that that's what she was going for and only now like years later people are giving it another thought to be like oh yeah maybe there was something more there and Megan Fox is like, there is nobody on earth that could have portrayed Jennifer better than me at that time because I felt like the same thing was happening to me. Like, I was being victimized by the same, like, architecture that was built to, like, put people who are young and attractive women on a pedestal, right? Like, yeah. you build them up and then you tear them back down again, like, at your own whims. Uh, and, right. And you know, you make it out that like, oh, like they're just some like young sex pot or whatever. But at the same time, you demand everyone be young and sexy. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I hear what you're saying. And I I mean, I also have like beads of sweat dripping down my forehead. I'm like, oh, my God, Brian, how do you sound during this episode? <laughs> Amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I guess I just don't feel like. I wish Jennifer had been more fleshed out as a character. And yeah, and you're mm-hmm. right, like maybe she doesn't need to be because just because someone's not a great person doesn't mean they're not a victim of all this. And um yeah, there is like a symbolic rape scene in the movie, so she's guaranteed definitely obviously a victim. I guess I just wish she wasn't just such a straight up jerk throughout the whole movie or that yeah. maybe we had hinted about how a little bit more about how started to see like the cracks in the surface of who Jennifer is really. Yeah. Um, sure. And maybe I'm dumb for wanting that to be handed to me a little bit more and other people are better at just seeing through it and being like, no, no, this is what they're symbolizing here. Um, yeah. No, that's a really good point. I, they, they don't really, uh, like it, they, we never really like see any like great qualities of Jennifer. Like even like they could have done more with the friendship, right. To show like more yeah. of a, yeah, bond there, but um, 
yeah, you're right. They, they kind of, it's a little bit one dimensional on her character. Yeah. And so many people analyze this movie and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so important for the way it talks about female friendships and like how the power dynamic and like the emotions that can exist there. And while, yes, I think that's true. And I think we always need more of those movies. I don't think it did it necessarily better than like a mean girls type movie does it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's cool that that is the point of this movie and that that's the focal point. And I don't think it does it poorly, but I just feel like I feel like critics were too hard on this movie, but I also feel like maybe we are elevating it (laughs) higher than it actually should be now. And it's reality is somewhere in the middle in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a real uh, challenge I had with the second act. Like, there's a that, that scene where she tells um, Needy, like, what happened to her that night. And, like, now she has to, like, go eat these guys. And, yeah, we're led to believe, like, that they're really close friends. And I think that all kind of, like, falls away at, after that scene. And it just becomes, like, Needy versus um, Jennifer. And, yeah, I, I think they could have built out Jennifer's character more and that friendship more. Um, it made us maybe care a little bit, like a lot more about Jennifer. Cause, uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I don't, I don't think we're given enough when you, clearly I think there is like a lot there, but it, it's not really shown to us that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see needy interact with so many other characters. We get a better read on like who she is and we only see Jennifer really interact much on a anything but a superficial level with Needy. Yeah. And I understand that's part of it because Jennifer is dependent on this relationship with Needy and we're kind of trying to show that like, hey, Needy's got this whole world and Jennifer doesn't. But I, I just feel like I, yeah, Juno did such a good job fleshing out these characters, painting out who they were for us. And I think it's a great screenplay in every regard. Yeah. And I... Actually, I think the screenplay has some weaknesses. It's got holes in logic that I quite don't quite understand, and it's also just it's got some missing elements that I feel like a screenplay should have to be a great screenplay. Mm. <laughs> this coming from the person who gave pieces, would you give it three and a half for three and a half? <laughs> <laughs> there are different reasons to give movies high scores. Pieces has big moments, big entertaining yeah. moments, and it commits. And I feel like what you talked about with Diablo Cody's MO maybe a little bit, um, yeah, keeping things kind of even-toned, that's what this movie is. It's kind of like a pretty even ride the whole time. There aren't enough big moments. There aren't enough like largely yeah. entertaining moments. Um I know, yeah. Even like that, like the final like battle or whatever, it feels like pretty uh, mute. Uh, yeah, yeah, not not like very theatrical. And yeah, I think that is like very hairstyle, unfortunately. But yeah, I don't know. We're getting long. I'm doing a lot of bitching. Um, <laughs> it's good. <man. laughs> you know, zero yeah, yeah. out of zero out of five salty morsels. What do you give this movie? Uh, is I'd there anything this, else you want to say about it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I'd give this two and a half uh, salty. I, I think uh, you're right. Like it definitely has its shortcomings. I would have loved to see like a lot more horror and uh, more like uh, awesome scenes of Megan Fox like turn people up. But uh, I think given Diablo Cody and like her style and her approach, uh, I think there are a lot of like interesting layers here. And it was I think for the time a, a kind of important movie to have uh, a female protagonist like this that you're kind of rooting for, uh, but also like the, setting the dynamics of a friendship as uh, this whole thing is playing out. I thought that was a very unique perspective. So three, sure. three and a half for me. How about you? 
All right. Well, after all my bitching, I will just say, like, yes, it is an entertaining movie. Again, I think Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried's appointment <laughs> appointments. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm also kind of drunk for this episode. Okay. Um, I think their performances are great. I think that's yeah. the biggest strength of the movie. I do think some of the one-liners and the jokes land, even if they're not gigantic landings. They're just like, okay, cool. That was funny. Yeah. So I give it a three out of five salty morsels. Nice. I, I think it's a good movie. I don't. I think it's far from a great movie. Sure, sure. Yeah, it definitely has its flaws, but uh, I, I appreciated the effort. Yeah. Um, cool. Anything nice. else? Uh, I, don't, I feel like we talked about this movie for like another hour, but now we're probably... <laughs> I know. I like kind of want to keep talking about it, but I'm like, this might be one of our longer single movie discussions ever at this point. <laughs> and maybe we should try yeah. to wrap it up. Let's see what other terrible things I can get you to say to I know, right? I, yeah. Not only are we going long, but I think I have just diminished. <laughs> I wanted to like this movie more. I like everything that everyone has to say about this movie. I like the idea of this kind of movie existing and existing back in 2009. Um, yeah. Also, by the way, painting this movie is so woke, but it uses the R oh, word yeah. for people who are in, have mental challenges or differences or whatever, and it uses the F word as a gay slur, yeah. or at least a variation of it. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely not. So, a, yeah. Up to, yeah. Yeah, the, the, so yeah. So it, it is not without sin. Yeah, yeah. Um, you definitely have a lot of like 2000-isms, uh, like that decade-isms in here that aren't cool yeah. anymore. Right. Uh, right. I'd Again, also, you know, stuff like more stuff like that is just like, okay, like, yes, Jennifer is the victim, but it's hard for me to see her humanity. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, for some reason they didn't really dive into that. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, uh, it reminds me of like the movie, like It, where like, you know, you always have like this child bully who's just like the worst person ever. And then you realize, oh, their father treated them like shit. And then like, do you suddenly feel like, oh, maybe they're they're not like the bad guy. They're a victim as well. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes every villain uh, is also, to some degree, a victim. Yeah, agreed, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, yeah, I just can't help but wonder if our post, post, uh, I don't know, if the discussions we're having about this movie are giving it more credit than it perhaps deserves. Yeah. I do think there's a lot you can read into it. i just not sure that enough of it was put on screen. Um Sure. Yeah, I, yeah I'm totally. just repeating myself at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to see more. Uh, one uh, last thing I'll throw out there, uh, a theory. I think this film's actually a documentary, and it explains why Megan is with um, that dude today, uh, that uh, Kelly, or Machine Gun Kelly. Because I think, like, when they got engaged or something, they, like, they drank each other's blood, too, or something. They were doing some Did crazy they really? shit. Yeah. They, 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 if you follow her on Instagram, uh, they do some really crazy shit together, and I think this movie might explain a lot of it. So, I guess, man, oh Jesus, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep <laughs> digging my hole until yes. no so one listens for. to this show anymore. Yeah. But like, I, I think we're so tempted to go to one side of the left-right polarity these days. Like, oh, people like gang up on Megan Fox, she's a tabloid target, like... It's all misogyny and the patriarchy. More than one thing can be true at the same time. That can be true and may be true. But if you're drinking your partner's blood and posting about it on Instagram, 
uh, do what you will. You're not harming anybody. <laughs> but it's reality. You're going to get some backlash. Like, yeah. there's a little bit of a push right now. Of, like, we should all be open and not shame anything that doesn't hurt anybody. anybody. And a big part of me agrees with that. But then a, another part of me is like, come on. They're drinking each other's blood and posting about it on the internet. Like, yeah, we should call that stupid. I mean, yeah. <laughs> why can't we yeah. call that stupid? Yeah, uh, no, I, I think you're right. To each, uh, I mean, everything can be true. Like, uh, on one hand, to each their own. But on the other hand, you also have, I guess, the right uh, to have an opinion about things, right? Sure, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as, as I try to think of myself as, as woke and progressive, and maybe some people are really rolling their eyes uh, <laughs> about that right now, especially at the end of this episode, but I just yeah. think there, there are some things where it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, people are allowed to think that's strange, right? Think, like, yeah. do can we not think anything is strange anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can ever get away from that. All right. All right, well, we hope you all enjoyed our very last episode of Horror Movie Club as we talk about Jennifer's body from 2009 and Brian's public perception takes a nosedive. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, you can give us 5 out of 5 or 1 out of 5 on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, uh, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop down. Click on Facebook or Twitter. That'll take you to those pages where we let you know what we are going to be discussing next week. Um, let's see. The Discord link is on there, too. You can get on Discord and chat with a bunch of other horror movie fans. Chat with me. I'm on there. You can tell me what an idiot I am. Uh, you can email us at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. Uh, if you want some swag, we've got a set of coasters. You can just Google Horror Movie Club Coaster Set. That'll take you to the Etsy site of Amy Mae Popart. She designed our logo and made a great poster set, coaster set for us. You can use the code MOVIECLUB to get 15% off on that. Uh, at HorrorMovieClub.com, you can click on the big orange button for our Patreon page. Subscribe for a buck a month for some bonus content. Uh, and until next time, if you try to sacrifice someone to Satan... Uh, just make sure they're a virgin. Hi. Maybe they should have tried that emo kid, Colin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Much better luck there. <laughs> God, that kid really annoyed me. He was he, like, yeah, he, he was pretty annoying. Yeah. Do you ever feel like there's a kid in a movie that, like, has such style that they're just, like, bogged down by accessories to the point that they can barely move? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> various <laughs> Not bracelets. Practical chains on their like coat many yeah. layers when it's probably too warm for that many layers oh man imagine like a fire like a, he's not getting out of there he's no like, he, he can't he has bad mobility it probably takes him like an hour to just get all his stuff off when he walks <laughs> in the door when he gets home. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>